Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Good luck with the most beautiful game. Do us proud. Red alert! They're up and running again. So smooth, so sweet, splendid, succinct, just glorious execution. Guys, all I'm looking for is 60% effort, 4,000% of the time. How sharp was that? Sharp of mind and body. And that's why you see those beautiful tears. Look at his movements. The most dangerous man on the planet. Nobody picks him up. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Wonder Goal, the soccer betting podcast from the Action Network. My name is Michael Leboff. This is part two of our World Cup group betting preview. We'll be going through groups E, F, G, and H. And joining me for this adventure, as always, will be my co-hosts, friends, colleagues, BJ Cunningham and Anthony DeBundo. But before I bring them in, a reminder that Wonder Goal is presented by Bet365, the world's favorite sportsbook brand. Sign up with promo code ACTION to get Bet365's exclusive sign-up offer in New Jersey and Colorado. Bet $1 on any game. Get 200 free. Groupie, Spain. Odds on to win it, minus 120. Germany, plus 110 behind them. Japan, the Blue Samurai, 14 to 1. And then Costa Rica, they're the biggest underdog in any group. They're 50 to 1 to win it. Not going to happen. Los no, Tocos. not going to happen. BJ is BJ's favorite <laughs> yeah. team. BJ hates, he just, he doesn't like good, uh, he doesn't like bad teams. It's very strange. No, no Los hates, Ticos he, for BJ. Yeah, Los, I don't Los like teams that cost hates, me a ton of money. I do want to set this up. So if you listen to part one of the preview, I went over this. I'm going to do it real quickly again. Last World Cup, group stage, incredibly chalky. But the one before that, Spain, Italy, England, Portugal, all knocked out in the group stage. Germany finished last. England finished last in the group in 2014. Stuff happens. Weird stuff happens at these tournaments. Teams just don't gel. We're in Qatar. Maybe teams don't take to it well. Who knows? That said, that out of the way, I want to start with Anthony. All three of us kind of like a team in this group that we'll be backing, and you're going to be driving the bus. Yeah, it's like Japan's fun, man. Like, they're good. You know, we're doing team-by-team previews for this World Cup, and they'll be up probably by the time you've listened to this podcast, if not right after. Uh, And I wrote about Japan and why I really like this team. Like, they are excellent out of possession. If you watched... Japan play the U S men's national team and completely play them off the park. Then, you know, 
why there's so much to like about this Japan team. And it really starts in the midfield with a player on a team we don't like as a podcast. We're not big Eintracht Frankfurt people, but Daichi Kamada is awesome. And he really kind of sets the tone for their press. He's very good at it, very effective. They, you can't really do much with their numbers, right? Because they play in a very weak confederation that it's relatively easy to qualify. So like, I don't look at their numbers and immediately think that they're uh, some great team. Like the, you know, that, that's really on the level of Germany or Spain, but there is a lot to like. Number one, made it to the round of 16 at the last World Cup. There is experience. Their age profile is pretty encouraging. They have a good center back pairing to the point where I, you know, I trust them. Minamino, left winger. We've seen him at Liverpool. We know that, yes, he didn't quite work out there, but he can be, you know, he was obviously good enough to get Liverpool interest. So there's, there's stuff like there. He's having a decent season in France this year. They did lose Ko Itakura to injury, which sucks because he was having a breakout season at Gladbach. So not having him kind of stinks. But again, they have people who are used to playing in the Bundesliga, whether it's Maya Yoshida at center back. So Takahiro Tomiyasu from Arsenal, like there's a lot of talent on this team. The question is, how do they compete with the big boys, right? Can they do enough to, to pressure Germany and Spain who are dominant possession teams? I think I'd rather have somebody who's going to give it a go and take their chance against Germany and Spain, because what do we know about Germany and Spain is that both of them have similar flaws. Germany and Spain are dominant possession teams, but when they do lose the ball, they're immediately vulnerable. Germany's center backs are a big question mark. Spain is so used to having the ball. They're not great without the ball. So you can hit them quick in transition and get at them. And I think that's the two flaws of those two teams. And I think Japan as a team, they were very good at win the ball within 10 seconds. We're in your goal. And if they can pull that off once or twice, that's the path to them getting out of this. It also is just a path for chaos. I think that Costa Rica is the worst team in the field. So if they just beat Costa Rica, all they need is one fluke result, whether it's they draw Germany and then Germany lose to Spain or they draw Spain and Spain lose the Germany. Like the team that they can get a point against draws. And then all of a sudden it comes down to goal difference. And then it's, you know, anything can happen. I mean, they advanced on, on, you know, remember how they got out of the group. Yeah. It was the sportsmanship yellow cards. Yep. So there's a path here. Like I don't love their, like their path because of course Germany and Spain are very good teams, but we saw Germany at the Euros just last summer was 15 minutes from going out. And I was holding a, a seven to one on them not to advance. And Hungary, the exact same thing. Not quite as talented as Japan, but scored two goals and both came right on the heels of loss of possession for Germany. As soon as they lose the ball, they're vulnerable. So I think there's a path. I'm taking them at plus 400. It's a good long shot, good flyer uh, on a team that I think is underrated and has shown their pressing ability. So Spain plays Costa Rica to start. That means Japan and, and Germany played. And Japan's 7-1 on the money line. I'll be on that in the opening match. They're plus 375 to win the group. I think I would just rather play the money line against Germany at you know higher odds. I don't hate Japan to win the group at 14-1, to one, just with the way the schedule sets up, because if they beat Germany, then you know all bets are off, because then Germany's got to go for it against Spain. I just think it sets up for, for a little bit more chaos than people will realize when they look at this group. They think, oh, straightforward. Spain, Germany, Spain's minus 900 to advance. Germany's at minus 800 to advance. This is, you know, set it and forget it. We'll see both of these two teams in the round of 16. I think that is a dangerous game to play, especially because there is a bottom feeder too. So like the group sets up for more chaos, I think, than people realize. Uh, Japan too, remember, like, so they they got through at the 
you know, that was a tough one for me because I had uh, a lot of money tied up in Senegal. So seeing Japan get through on sportsmanship points over Senegal was tough, but then they went up two nil on Belgium and then they blew that one. And, and, you know, same kind of situation, right? Like you can beat Belgium going the other way. I, I mean, the blue samurai, I think, you know, as, as, as a group, we're going to be all over this team over and over and over again. Yeah. So. We're, we're going to catch, I think almost two goals in both matches against Spain and Germany. Mm-hmm. Uh, I haven't looked. Well, not after they beat Germany. That number is going to crash when they play Spain. Well, well, at that point, they might be through, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. But, but, but reality, like, it, I, I will be on them in the first match against Costa Rica. I think that that match is actually a little bit trickier than you know, from a matchup point of view. We talk about you know Costa Rica sitting in their low block, just banking on Navas. Like, of course, I think the talent gap is bigger. Like, I think there's value on Japan. But then they get to that second match. If they've already won it, you know, how aggressive are they? I don't know. You know, we'll have to look at like a team total, maybe. I think that, but I think they're so live in this matchup with the transitions and and their age profile is solid. Like, they don't have any like aging stars where you're like, uh oh. I don't love that Furuhashi's not on the team, striker from Celtic, but. Uh, they they clearly trust their their plan and and got through qualifying pretty easily and had good underlying numbers even though I don't really read much into it. Um, so I, I like Japan. All right, BJ. Yeah, I love Japan. Obviously, along with you guys. I mean, you know, the underlying numbers. It's a plus one point six expected goal differential per ninety. Now you can take whatever you want from that. They played a lot of you know smaller nations around Asia, like. It wasn't that difficult, but again, like doing that even against smaller nation is still impressive. And Anthony hit the nail right on the head is this team lives in transition and what they actually do a really good job of, you know, they're probably going to play a center back pairing, you know, Tomiyasu obviously plays right back, left back for Arsenal, but he played a lot of center back also at Bologna. Like he's very capable. He plays there for the national team as well. Those are two really good ball controlling center backs. And what they do actually do a great job of is they just bait teams into pressing them. And the thing is in that first match against Germany, Germany has a new manager. It's Hansi Flick, who formerly managed Bayern Munich, and the word conservative is not in his vocabulary. Like, they are incredibly aggressive in terms of their attacking and their pressing. Like, since Flick took over, you know, throughout World Cup qualifying, Germany's averaging over three expected goals per match. Now, they haven't really played that difficult of competition. You know, it's against Armenia, Iceland, Romania, and North Macedonia. Like, you know, not, not exactly murderer's row, but it really led to a lot of bonkers matches in, in the nation's league as well. Like they had a five, two match against Italy, a three, three draw against England. And Anthony also mentioned like they're very possession dominant. Like they held over 60% possession in the matches against England and Italy. So the possession battle against, you know, Spain is going to be very interesting. I have no interest in playing Germany to get through or Spain to win this group. I think the prices are fairly priced. I'm more interested in Spain from a long-term future perspective. So you can turn into our tournament futures and I'll get into Spain a little bit more, more detail, but yeah, I mean, Japan is set up perfectly to sit back and just live in transition against two teams. Like Anthony mentioned, Spain doesn't know what to do without the ball. Germany's way too aggressive in that, in, in, in terms of their pressing. So the first match against Germany is going to be absolutely bonkers. It's a perfect overmatch as well. And I really, really like this Japanese team to get through just like you guys, because again, the friendly against USA that, that Anthony mentioned, like where did their goals come off of? It was off of high turnovers and they just punished the US on the counter. They can do the exact same thing to both Spain and Germany. So I agree with you guys. I love the Japanese. There's a couple of ways. I've been thinking about how I'm going to play Costa Rica in this because I'm going to be fading them quite heavily because they've cost me a ton of money throughout CONCACAF qualifying. Gotta make um, it back. Yeah, so they got Kaylor Navas and that's it pretty much for this entire team. They have 70% of their roster is playing in the Costa Rican Primera Division. Half their roster is over the age of 30. Against the USA, Mexico, and Canada, they had about a minus two and a half expected goal differential. And they allowed eight goals throughout CONCACAF qualifying off 20 expected. 
like this team, like Anthony mentioned, you know, Michael's the hockey guy here. They basically just play penalty kill. Like they just sit back in their two low blocks and then they just throw clearances or long balls up to Joe Campbell and just hope that something happens. And that's really what they're going to do in this group. Like they're like Spain and Germany might hold 80% possession against Costa Rica. Like maybe more, they're going to get off more than 20 shots against them. And it's just going to come down to whether Kaylor Navas can really stand on his head. You know, he's 35. He hasn't played much for PSG this season, but when he gets in between the posts against Costa Rica, balls just magically seem to, to find the post or magically seem to find his, uh, his glove. So we'll see. So there's a couple ways I'm playing Costa Rica seven to one for the lowest scoring team. I don't even know how they're going to score in this, in, in this group. They're going to put up a big fat zero. You can play. They'll score know. against Spain or Germany right. off stupidity. Yeah, it's a guarantee. But I'm going to be, I'm going to be they on. They scored the first goal of the world cup 2006 against Germany in Germany. Right. Paulo Wanchup. Um, they're minus 200 Second. to finish bottom in this group. Like that's too high of a price. I'm not going to pay that. Rather just bet Japan incredibly heavily when those two play. You can bet them for zero points at two to one. I think there's, yeah, that's still a pretty low of a price, you know, plus 240 for exactly one point, you know, maybe split a unit on those two. But the reality is I'm probably just going to be fading Costa Rica in every single match in this tournament. Because like Anthony said, they are the worst team in this tournament. Their age profile is, is incredibly old all their players are playing in the Costa Rican league. Like there's just no talent on the squad whatsoever besides Navas. So I agree with you guys, Japan to get through it four to one, I think is a fantastic price. And just honestly playing Japan in every single match, just kind of doubling down. So you can do one or the other, like you can just play Japan every single match or you can play them get through. Just, I agree with you guys. Just love the blue samurai group F Belgium minus minus one eighty eight to win it. Croatia runners up in the last world cup. They're plus two fifty. Morocco 10 to one Canada. 12 to one. I like Canada just generally. I think we talked about in the last episode, different cores that have been playing together for a long time that are pulling in the same direction that know how to like kind of just play to their strengths. And this, this Canadian team not only has some talent, right? Like you, you, David's great. Alfonso Davies, boy, that was scary. Thought he uh, was going to miss the world cup for a second there, but uh, they have some, some game breakers, which should help them. I think cause some trouble with against Croatia and Morocco and Belgium is, you know, Belgium, I think all three of us are are down on Belgium's chances. I actually think a bet on them at 20 to one to finish at the foot of the table is my favorite bet here in group F. Cause like I said, at the top, someone's going to do it. One of the big boys is going to do it. And the other groups, like we talk about how Costa Rica's at in one, you know, you got Iran and Tunisia and Australia and others like Cameroon in, in the group with Brazil. And then, uh, you know, Portugal, I think you can make a case for, but the number's sh- much shorter. So, I like Belgium 20 to one finish last. I like Canada as a long shot. However you want to play them. It's, it's fine with me, but I think both the two teams at the top here, Belgium, because of the, the way they play going in the wrong direction and Croatia, because of their age profile are vulnerable. So Canada for me, uh, are a team that I'll be circling here and Belgium as a team to fade you two though, like Morocco, BJ, I'll let you go first. I love Morocco to get through a two to one. I here's the thing about Morocco is if you look at their underlying numbers throughout African qualifying and even the African cup of nations, like they've been the best in the entire continent. Like they've had a plus one XG differential throughout African qualifying, you know, African qualifying, what happens to, there are a lot of low event type matches. Teams play very, very, very defensive. So it's harder to get margin in Africa than it is in, in Asia or some other type of qualification. So getting a high XG differential per 90 in Africa is actually kind of impressive for Morocco. 
they have a ton of talent throughout this entire squad. Obviously the key man is Atraf Hakimi who plays for PSG, one of the best right backs in the world. He's their main man in terms of ball progressing, getting up the wings. But the bigger thing with Morocco is they've had the best underlying metrics. Like there's since March of 2021, 17 straight matches. They've won the expected goals battle throughout Africa is two of their best players, Hakeem Zaik and Maserawi, who plays for Bayern Munich. They haven't played for the last 15 months for the national team because they had a falling out with the manager who, you know, you can read about it, but essentially he said some, not some nice things about those two guys. And they said, well, screw this. I'm not playing for the national team. Well, that guy's been fired. They brought in a new manager in August and he mended the relationship with those two guys and he selected them for the friendlies. So now they're going to be playing for the national team. So two of their best players didn't play when they went through this crazy run. And now they're only going to be better going into this world cup. So, you know, it, what you're going to get is a lot of crosses from this team. Like in scenario from Sevilla is very used to that playing under Lopetegui, like, you know, obviously with the, you know, Maserawi and Hakimi getting up the wings, like they can punish a lot of teams in this group. So this is a well-drilled squad that has great underlying metrics that can play a really good system that I think is very, very live to get through in this group. And like you mentioned with Belgium, like the golden generation's over. What does Belgium have that gets you really excited besides Kevin De Bruyne? Like they're going to play Eden Hazard, who hasn't really played that much for Real Madrid. It's completely cooked. Romelu Lukaku, who knows if he's even going to play in this World Cup. He's been out forever. He had a setback where he's with his thigh injury. So, and honestly, he hasn't looked good since he made, made the move to Chelsea and even back to Inter. And then in defense, like, are they really going to roll with Vertonghen, Denier, and Alderweireld again? Like, this is a very aging game. Again, Again. <laughs> like this seriously. is the year Belgium finally gets their trip. Yeah, exactly. And then, you know, they're going to play a defensive midfield pairing of, of Tielemans and Axel Wietzel. You know, Tielemans is obviously very good in terms of ball, ball progression, but he doesn't really do that great defensive work for Leicester. So they'd be relying a lot of their, you know, in terms of transition on Wietzel, who's 33. That's concerning. So there's just like not a lot of talent with this Belgium squad. And they're very, they're probably the most vulnerable, I would say, of, of the favorites in this tournament and one that I know a lot of people will be circling in that to get upset in that first round. And even what you saw with Belgium as well as the euros is like, yes, they won their group that included Denmark, even though the match gets Denmark, they got completely luck dominated. box, complete luck box. But what happened when they got to the round of 16, they had to play Portugal, they scored early and then they had to sit in a low defensive block for pretty much the entire match. And they looked like they had no idea what they were doing. And they got it very, wasn't very terrible because Portugal, I mean, it wasn't stuck. terrible, but they, they got very, very it was more lucky. about Portugal than Belgium. <laughs> Right. <laughs> more, more about Portugal's finishing, but it, it highlights a bigger point that like, once they get into the round of 16 and they have to play teams that are more possession dominant, like it's kind of concerning. So unless Kevin De Bruyne can like basically will them on his back throughout this tournament, like Belgium's Belgium's going out early. So I have no interest in playing Belgium as a favorite. The other two teams, Canada, I mean, Alfonso Davies is going to play like how healthy is he going to be? Like Canada's very, very direct. Like they're very direct counterattack. Maybe a lot of speed, like Jonathan David's in the form of his life. So like they Good have job. a lot of, yeah. And I mean, 10 expected goals throughout Europe. That's third best in Europe's big five leagues. So that's kind of impressive. And then Croatia, I mean, they're just old, honestly, like the golden generation for Croatia is over. They have a great midfield, like that can really dominate games besides the midfield. There's really just not much talent. Like they're just going to be relying on Kramerick as a false nine up top, which is just not going to really get it done. Goalkeepers, a big time concern. You know, he had a minus two XG post shot XG plus minus at the euros. He was very, very bad. Lovren's 33 and playing in Russia. Like there's just not a lot to like about this Croatian team in terms of, you know, mimicking that magical run in the 2018 world cup. So I love Morocco 
to get through in this group. Like I think they they have more talent, honestly, than, than Canada. And I think they can give Croatia a big time run. And then obviously Belgium is very, very vulnerable as a favorite. So Morocco plus 200 to get through in this group is my, my, one of my favorite bets throughout the entire world cup. I think, I think it's, this group it's, is going to be so fun. Yeah. It's going to be, I was just about to say, this is a group that, you know, you, you, you might want to just sprinkle Canada and Morocco to advance 40 to one as a dual forecast, right? Like there's that. a stole that off my sheet. It's off. Oh, is that, is that your favorite bet here? No, well, I got but a few things. I just, before I turn it to you, like the thing about we're, we're talking about these, these age profiles. Normally I wouldn't worry too much about them if this was a normal summer world cup, but all these guys have been playing, you know, club <laughs> for their clubs. Ro- Rosevich is come, just coming off. It does matter here as well. uh, more than normal one. 37. Like it's a, it's a super crammed world cup Yeah, in the desert. I care more about a, like I, I generally do think because here's the thing, and this is more philosophical, like bigger picture on these international tournaments, the data we have is so talent dependent, skewed, like how many teams played their best lineup, how many times, who'd you play? When were the matches? Like the, the managers change so often. And even then the samples are small. Like we're talking about like 15 matches for 10 matches for a lot of these teams. So it is, there's more art in this than there is when, we, you know, you listen to Wonder Goal, you'll hear me talk about XG all the time. Like I don't use as much XG when I talk about international tournaments. And I think age profile is a really good way to figure out where teams are trending, who might be in trouble. If things go wrong, where could they go wrong? And the two teams at the top of this group on paper are two of the biggest teams where you're like, the cliff could come here and we just don't know it yet. And I think for Belgium, I think BJ mentioned it with Lukaku. Lukaku was in great form heading into the Euros last year. That is no longer the case anymore. Like he had had a great season at Inter Milan. He went into the Euros. Him and De Bruyne are awesome. Like that's a scary thought betting against those two players. But Lukaku has not been the same player. He's over, you know, right at 30 now. BJ mentioned the ages of the, of the center backs. Belgium loves to play with the ball, but they don't have a lot of ball winners. Telemann is not a ball winner. Witzel is old. Their fullbacks have always been a problem. Castagna is okay. Mounier, really? Like Thomas Mounier is going to, you know, so like there's so many questions. And Hazard has not been productive in any minutes, any club in the last three years. So there's all kinds of questions. Dries Mertens is gone now. Like Belgium struggled at the last Euros. They got a deflected goal where Patricio botched for Portugal and then they just sat deep and Portugal, we'll get to them in a second. Like they have their problems and couldn't break them down, hit the post, had some chances, but a lot of long range pot shots. Belgium then played Italy, got completely exposed by Italy's counterpress. Belgium couldn't get out of their own half. What'd they do? They brought on Jeremy Doku and just started bombing balls up to him and letting him run at people. And it worked, but that's not going to work here because one, I don't expect him to play as much. That was like the plan B emergency. Like we're just going to get it up to Lukaku and Doku and let them wreck. I don't think they can do that this year because Lukaku's out of form and Doku's really not taking a step forward since that match. So I love fading Belgium. How do we do that? I have a couple ideas. The, the biggest one is Morocco to win the group is 12 to one. I sprinkled some there. Morocco to qualify is plus 200. That's going to be my main bet. I agree with BJ, but I will also be placing a small wager on Canada and Morocco to both go through at 40 to one. You can bet that at bet, bet three, six, five. The thing that's interesting about Canada of all the teams who might be best designed to sit deep and counter in the whole tournament, it might be Canada because they're solid defensively and they're forward runners with Davies, Tejan Buchanan, go orange, and Jonathan David, 
electric. Their midfield has enough ball winning that I can trust them. And we've seen them do it in CONCACAF. So do I think they'll probably be a little bit leakier defensively than they were in CONCACAF because CONCACAF doesn't have any like attacks that really like are super dynamic? Yes. But I think they're going to be able to hit teams and score in transition, especially Belgium. And then of course we, you know, we talked about Croatia, like everybody on their profile is, is like over 30 at this point. When you look at their, their profile and like, who's going to be the main starters, like Modric is ageless. Like he doesn't age, but he is 37. And I don't think he's going to be able to play all the minutes. Lovren old Vita old Versalco old Kramerich 31 Perisic 33. Like you're not getting 270 minutes from these players in 10 days. So that's the red flag. There's no easy game in this group either where you can be like, oh, we'll rest them for this game because you could lose. Yeah, and Croatia, let's be honest, they, they sucked at the Euros too. They lost the expected goals battle every single match. I understand they were in a, kind of a difficult group, but like they played Scotland, they played Czech Republic, and obviously the bonkers match against Spain where they conceded five goals. But like they have, they've been great throughout World Cup qualifying, but they've, you know, they've been playing Slovakia and Slovenia. Like they haven't really played the top tier. Right talent change quickly in international soccer. And, and this even goes back to the last group, like Costa Rica. I had them out of the group in my predictions in 2014, when I like made my little bracket on ESPN, I was like, Oh, <laughs> they had a golden generation. Everybody got old. They're all over 30. Same thing is true for Belgium. Just about Belgium has some young talent. Like they'll be okay in the future, whatever. But Costa Rica, you look at Belgium, you look at Croatia. These are teams who are not footballing traditional powerhouses they go through peaks and valleys and Belgium and Croatia are the two teams that are teetering on the cliff here. And I think by the next cycle, the next euros, uh, we're going to see very different teams for both of them. So that's when that kind of restarts. And I want to be there for the end of the cycle to fade. Them. So you can book it Belgium and Croatia through from group through back. nine points, yeah. six mm-hmm. points, group, easy wins. Uh, group G Brazil tournament favorites. Uh, they are minus two seventy five to win group G. They are four to one to win the whole tournament. They are playing in a pod with Switzerland plus 450 to win the group, Serbia six to one, Cameroon 20 to one, Switzerland and Serbia are basically the same odds to advance. Brazil's minus 900 and, and Cameroon are plus 350 to just advance. It's a pretty uninteresting group for me, just from a betting perspective. I, I don't have much here. I think, yeah, I, I mean, honestly, I, I've, I've got nothing here. This one's pretty straightforward for me. I think. I have a tough time separating Serbia and Switzerland. So I'll probably just take the bigger number on Serbia. If I had to BJ, what about you? So I think there's a way to play this group where we can essentially get good prices on both Switzerland and Serbia to advance to where we come down to that final match and you have an either opportunity to, to hedge on Serbia, or you can get even Serbia at a bigger number because what ha- the reality is, is that, well, the funny part is these three teams were paired together at the 2018 World Cup as well, and Serbia got beat both times by Switzerland and Brazil. I mean, with Brazil, I mean, what do you say? Like, they're, they're deserving of being the tournament favorites, in my opinion. They probably have the most talent of anybody in this entire World Cup. They've been the best team throughout in South American qualifying. And Neymar is honestly in the form of his life for PSG this season. So, I mean, what else do you really say about Brazil? Like, they're also one of these teams that's incredibly possession-dominant, but it's a stranglehold on the ball, so... You know, their first match against Serbia, we'll talk about it in length, but there's a, a wonderful bet I like there. But I like Brazil, Switzerland, you know, essentially group forecast for second at plus 175 because, you know, Switzerland is going to be favored over Serbia in the final match. And with Serbia playing Brazil in that first match and Switzerland playing Cameroon being a minus 130 favorite, you're going to get a scenario if everything goes according to plan where Switzerland and Brazil are going to be atop the group, three points. 
and you could get a potentially a pretty big number on Serbia to advance or essentially in the final match against Switzerland, where they'll be essentially over plus 200. I mean, the Swiss team, again, another team that Anthony has me drinking the Kool-Aid because they're a team much like Denmark that's been playing together for a really, really long time and knows exactly what they want to do tactically. Like, yes, they, they tend to sit a little bit deeper and then just look to counter. Granite Shaka is also in the form of his life for Arsenal. He's enjoyed a little bit of more of an attacking role for Arsenal. He'll have to play a little bit more defensive alongside Froiler in their system. Breland Bolo is a really fun striker. They have a, a very solid center back pairing. We don't know if Jan Summer is going to be healthy enough for the World Cup yet, but like their their next option, you know, Cabal, who has is having a great season for for Dortmund. So he's a fine replacement. Like it's a team that's very, very well drilled, can sit back in a 4-4-2 low block when they're out of possession and and really frustrate a lot of teams in Serbia. Uh, it's just like, they're just going to cross you to death. Like basically all they do is they say, okay, we're going to get the ball moving forward. We'll get it out to, you know, Philippe Kostic or Dusan Tadic, and we'll just send crosses into Vlahovic and Mitrovic. And they're, you know, they rely on their physicality quite a bit to overpower a lot of teams. Like that's how they're very well drilled. But when they're out of possession, what Serbia likes to do is like, they're very aggressive with their pressing and they just kind of have no fear which tends to lead to a lot of open matches. That's why their matches throughout World Cup qualifying have averaged 3.1 expected goals. So, you know, it's impressive to get through a World Cup qualifying group over Portugal, who we'll get to in a second. But I think there's a good situation here with how the group sets up with, you know, Serbia playing Brazil first, Switzerland playing Cameroon first, and then the final match being Serbia and Switzerland, where you can have a wonderful hedge opportunity. So I'm going to play Brazil, Switzerland first, second, and then look to play back on Serbia to have a nice price before we get to that final match. Anthony, anything for you here, Group G, before we wrap things up with Group H? Yeah, I can't decide if I want to hop off the Switzerland bandwagon or not. Sorry, BJ. I know you hitched your wagon to my Swiss boys. We had a really fun Euro. We were within a penalty shootout of the semifinal. We would have beaten Italy. We would have won the tournament. We were so close. But, um, you know, Serbia on paper has just a lot more attacking talent than Switzerland. So I like the defense of Switzerland more, without a doubt. But you kind of look at this, the way that the form table sets up, like how informed Mitrovic is, scares me. How good at crossing Kostic is. Vahovic, like they're perfectly set up for these crosses. And they can kind of just bypass the midfield advantage that I think Switzerland's going to have in the match with Shaka and Freuler. That uh, that's kind of concerns me. Zakaria as well has not been informed much, has not been playing much for Chelsea. I love Braille Embolo. We you know we, we we love him. We had him, you know, the first match of the Euros when he scored uh, against Wales. It was awesome. He's very good at kind of helping their attack because their attack struggles so much with getting the ball into the penalty area. He just kind of comes short, takes the ball, and then runs with it. You know, we've talked about that before. They have the the uh, the guy who led the uh, Euros in assists was Zuber. But you kind of just look across the board and you're like, okay, there's kind of a limit to how like the ceiling is, is low for Switzerland because their attack is just not that good. And I do see a world where Serbia with its attacking players, because it's not just Vlahovic, when it was just Vlahovic and Mitrovic wasn't in good form. I was like, ah, uh, like how much we really like this team. But now I'm starting to spin a narrative where like Sergei Milinkovic, Savic, Kostic, like they're and Tadic are just such good playmakers compared to what you're seeing for Switzerland, that that match is probably rightly a toss up. And so I actually have not bet this anything here. Uh, I think I'm going to end up staying away. We'll see. I may, may come around and change my mind again and, and just trust my Swiss boys to get through, which they always seem to do. They always seem to get through and then lose in the round of 16, which I'm kind of expecting for whoever gets second in this group. 
But Cameroon is interesting. I think there's a world where if Serbia doesn't come to fruition the way I think that they could, and Switzerland starts to fall off the way that I think they could, that Cameroon could surprise some people. Like there is some talent on this team. I love Onana and goal. They have decent underlying numbers in qualifying. Like there are, like I said, there is talent on this roster overall, you know, in general, they're, they're clearly on paper, the fourth team, but you know, Chapu Moting has been in good form. Zembo and Gisa is kind of the man in midfield. Like he's been one of the best midfielders I'd argue in the world. Uh, the defensive question marks definitely exist for this team, but the peak ages are solid. Like everybody, all their best players are, you know, with between 25 and 29, 30. So you like that. Toko Akambi has been good too. So like, there's a, Interesting battle for second here. I do agree Brazil wins this comfortably, but the battle for second will be a fun one in this group. And if, you know, the next group goes a little bit differently, there could be a path, I think, for the team to get through, depending on who wins the other group. Let's talk about that other group. It's group H. Portugal's at the top uh, on the odds board. They're minus 163 to win it. Uruguay, two to one. South Korea, 10 to one. Ghana, 16 to one. This one sets up... Beautifully, if you're a World Cup historian, we remember Uruguay and Ghana have a fun rivalry because of Luis Suarez with the reverse hand of God against Ghana back in uh, 2010. I think this conversation is going to go down a, a pretty similar path and it'll branch off. All of us think that Portugal is a vulnerable favorite at the top in terms of the group. I actually think Portugal, if you like them, just invest in them to win the tournament uh, at 14 to 1 because you don't want to lay this money because I think Uruguay at 50 to one are my favorite bet for a sleeper in the entire tournament on the big board. Federico Valverde is a, an absolute wonderkind uh, from Real Madrid. Uh, He's the got, mess of the tournament. Yeah. Darwin Nunez is, uh, he should be great, you know, in, in, especially in this kind of environment. Then they got like Suarez and Cavani who can fill in and, and, and be those lifesavers off the uh, lifeguards off the, the sub bench, whoever's not starting. I mean, I think, there's a lot to like here for the South American side. New manager, obviously, Oscar Tabarez was there forever. Uh, he was there for 15 years. Diego Alonso's there now. They've got him playing a little bit more on the front foot than they were. They used to just be this robust 4-4-2 with Godin and whatever his name is in, in the back, uh, the triple name guy. And then they would just get the ball to Forlan, Suarez, Cavani, whoever whoever is the striker at the time. But they're much more talented kind of all over the pitch here. And it's a team that, Anthony talked about like peaks and valleys. I think we're kind of going up uh, in a weird way because you think like Suarez and Cavani are aging out, but there's this new class of player that's coming to take their spots and they're all good. So I like Uruguay 50 to one to win the tournament. If you're doing like a group winner parlay, I think they're a good you know price to throw in there at, at two to one because the Portugal side, I think it sounds weird to say, I like their long-term prospects much more than I do to win the group, but that's how I'll be playing this one. BJ, anything here? Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. I like Uruguay more from a futures perspective, potentially to win the tournament, to get to the quarters, to get to the semis than I do necessarily to win this group because I just don't think the price is really there on Uruguay. Portugal, you know, they obviously have all the talent in the world, but I mean, we saw throughout the Euros, right? They got completely dominated by Germany. Like, yes, they dominated Hungary. Like, they dominated Belgium. They couldn't really finish, like, Let's be honest, Ronaldo's completely cooked. They're very reliant on him up top. Diego Jota is out. And it's another team that I don't really think is that great out of possession. Like they just, they don't have a lot of ball winning midfielders. Like, you know, they obviously have Bruno Fernandes. They have Bernardo Silva. Those are great attacking midfielders, but they 
uh, they're really going to rely on essentially Ruben Neves and, you know, Patina and all these guys, like in terms of midfields, like I think Uruguay has a better midfield than, than Portugal in terms of defensive midfielders. But the two ways I'm going to be playing this group is I, I like South Korea to advance. Obviously it's very dependent on if Hyun Min's son plays, right? Cause if he doesn't, then I say, I don't like this, bet. but they're plus two twenty five to advance incredibly impressive throughout Asian qualifying. You know, they were the second best team behind Japan, you know, obviously they didn't really play anybody, but they're a team much like Japan that is just lives in transition. They're very, very good at their pressing. They're very good at sitting deep and countering a lot of teams. And, you know, midfield is a question mark for them, but they have, they have a really good defender in Napoli's Min Jae Kim, who's having a breakout season in Syria. Ah, like he's averaging over three tackles plus, plus interceptions per 90. And he's like a big reason why Napoli's been one of the best defensive teams in Europe, but the attacking talent that, South Korea possesses with Hyun Min Son to punish teams on the counter, especially two teams in this group. Like, I, I think they should very, they shouldn't be a pick them against Ghana. Like I'll get to Ghana in second, but this is a team I love to get through. I mean, Hyun Min Son can really carry them again. If he doesn't play, I don't like this bet at all because he, they are very, very reliant on him, but they are a team that's very well drilled to play out of possession and counter teams. Ghana is the team I like to finish bottom of this group as my, at minus 110. They are maybe the most influx team, I think, coming into this World Cup. Like they just fired their manager uh, after the Africa Cup of Nations after a really poor showing. They couldn't get out of a group with Morocco, Gabon, and Comoros. They lost 3 2 to Comoros in the final match, ended up getting him fired. They brought in Otto Adu, who's been a, a player for the national team, but he's ne- the only experience he's had as a manager was managing the U19s for Hamburger in, in Germany. And listen, they somehow got past Nigeria in the African World Cup playoffs, but they were incredibly lucky to do so. Like they created Shame, really. 0.6 expected goals over the two legs. It was just a Thomas party, weird goal from outside the box. And they kind of just held onto it. And that's how they got through. It's a real shame because Nigeria is one of the powerhouses across Africa. I mean, so another thing that really concerns me is that, okay, so Ghana really, if overall didn't really have much talent, right? They have Thomas party is one of the best defensive midfielders in the premier league. And they got a couple of guys to switch nationalities, Tariq Lampy and Aki Williams from athletic Bilbao, who's been obviously very good in La Liga, but they haven't really played with the national team that much. Like they played two matches, Africa cup of nations qualification in June. They drew with the central Africa Republic one, one, like that team is, I have ranked 177th in the world. Like it's just a, it was very weird performance. And the XG suggests that that result was actually right. So I'm concerned about Ghana from just a tactical perspective of like, they don't seem to really have an identity right now or really what they want to do. They obviously have, you know, that's not like they don't have talent. Like, you know, Joku and Armati is a, as a capable center back pairing and Aki Williams, like I already mentioned is very good, but they played a friendly against Brazil. They got beat very soundly three, nothing. Like they really didn't, look like they knew what they really wanted to do. They do come out and press high, like they have pace, but that leaves a lot of open space and behind something that's South Korea and obviously Uruguay and Portugal can really take advantage of. So I really think that this Ghana team is just not that great. I think they're going to lose to South Korea. Like, so I think minus 110 is a fantastic price for them to finish bottom of this group. And then obviously South Korea to advance at plus 225. All right, Anthony, what about you for group H? Uruguay, Uruguay, Uruguay. That's right. You know, I don't look at qualifying numbers that much. Like I said that earlier, and I'm kind of like, uh, you know, we'll see. Uruguay, from an expected goals point of view, had really encouraging underlying numbers This in the, in the cycle. You know, they had the third best expected goals for. They were not that far behind Argentina. 
to the point where they just didn't finish so that their qualification was a little bit dicier than it needed to be. They went through an incredibly weird variance spell where every chance was missed. And I just don't expect that to continue. And I think they're underrated. You mentioned the defenders. Godin is still there. He's like the Pepe, you know, he never dies, never retires. He's just there and always solid. And, and you can get away with it when you play as Uruguay does. They're not going to be a hugely pressing team. Nobody really presses a ton. And, and that's the one thing, the difference between international club. And, you know, you just don't see the, the structure out of possession, the, the pressing nature. You just don't see that as much in international. That's why the teams who are effective at it, like Denmark and even those Italy teams that won the Euro last year, like that's what makes them so much more dangerous. I think the biggest point to make in this group is that the biggest difference between talent, like the sum of the parts and the whole and the whole in this entire world might be Portugal. And it's because Fernando Santos doesn't let them be expansive, doesn't let them show what they have, which is an incredible group of attackers. I mean, we we can list off all the good players. Like if you just pull up the rosters and said, All right, who do we really like? We're like, wow, Portugal. Oh my gosh, they have so many good players. Even not just attackers, but fullbacks, Rafael Guerrero, Joao Cancelo in, in attack, Fernandez, Ronaldo, Jota's injured, okay, but Bernardo Silva. Silva. Yeah, yeah. Like there's so many good players. You're like, how can this team not be good? And then you turn on the game and you watch them and you're like, man, this team really sticks. <laughs> like they, they just don't have a plan to progress the ball up the pitch. Like let's not forget Portugal – probably wouldn't have made the world cup if North Macedonia hadn't beaten Italy in that stunning upset miracle, because Portugal probably would have lost to Italy. Who was better. You look at Portugal's numbers in qualifying. It wasn't that impressive. Like their attack put up good numbers, but that was against such weak competition. The second best team in their group was Serbia. The rest of the group was, was awful. And, and the defense didn't hold up that well. So I am concerned about Portugal across the board I think they're a fade team in this tournament. I thought they were a fade team going into the Euros as well. They were 11th in expected goals allowed in, in, in Europe. So I'm not buying into the Portugal narratives. I think Uruguay is the team to, to take a step forward. Uruguay did beat them at the last World Cup to knock them out. I think Portugal and Ronaldo is a problem too. I mean, even the Ronaldo compared to the Euros last year or compared to the last, like it's a huge difference in how much he's fallen off. They can't rely on him. And if they're going to build their entire attack around him, that hurts the attack. I think the biggest thing you see too, Bruno Fernandez is so good at times for United when he's getting on the ball and able to get space to make those dangerous passes. And he's a high risk passer, right? So he doesn't have a high completion percentage, but when he does pick that right pass, it's beautiful. Remember the stories coming out of the Euros last year? Bruno Fernandez doesn't turn up for country, out of form, choked at the Euros. That was the narrative. The reality is they just don't have anybody who can get him the ball. They couldn't progress the ball at the pitch enough to get Bruno space to do his thing. So and I don't think they solved that issue at all. So I'm out on Portugal. I like Uruguay to win the group. All right. It's going to be a lot of money sunk into Japan and Uruguay for us. Once again, we thank you for listening to And Wonder Morocco. Goal. And, and Morocco. For you. Yeah, Canada, Morocco. Once again, thank you for listening to Wonder Goal. A reminder that we will have four World Cup previews. We already did A through D. This was E through H. And then we'll have a tournament futures. We'll talk about our favorite bets to win, player futures like golden boot, golden ball, and then a, a USA deep dive. But until then, this is Michael Leboff for BJ Cunningham and Anthony DeBundo wishing you the best of luck with all your bets. 